0: practicing what was right. So, Cornelius was devout. Prayer, he gave to the poor. Now, he could have been just the tough guy. He could, you do what you're told. He could have been the, nobody's going to mess with me. He could have been the standoffish. He had a tender heart also. Here's a picture of some giving, some, some like giving to the poor images that maybe you've, that just come to mind. When you think of people who give to the poor, they're without, they need, they've got problems. Cornelius could have been alpha male, top of the food chain, in the mighty Roman Empire. And often we kind of see the Roman Empire as like, they're just rolling over everybody. Get out of my way. Cornelius had a heart for those who were in need. Did he have to have an eye on them? Did he have to be known for his generosity to the poor? No. But he did. So this guy represents a person whose heart has been transformed by the living God. He loves the poor. He practices what is righteous. Now, he was a God-fearer, which means he and his worship would have been acceptable in accordance with the Old Testament law. However, God-fearers in the New Testament have to make up their mind with what to do with Jesus. The Jews in Jerusalem would have told you: we are the best of the bloodline because we are uh, Abraham's offspring, we are the greatest nation on earth, we're all going to heaven. And all of you Gentile dogs, rough, ruff, ruff, good luck. Dogs is what they called us, dogs. Wouldn't eat with us, wouldn't talk to us. Even if you were a Samaritan, that's half-Jewish. <laughs> the revulsion toward non-Jewish people was incredible. But if you found your way into being a Jewish you know, worshiping like us and, all right, all right, all right, all right. You would have been somewhat acceptable to them. However, the scripture makes it clear you would have been acceptable to a holy God. Here's where this matters. Because even those who were practicing the Jewish law in the New Testament had to decide what to do with Jesus. And if they rejected Jesus, their faith was not truly in the one true God. Jesus said, all the prophets talked about me, Moses, all the books, Right, all of them talked about me. If you reject me, you didn't even have what you thought you had in the first place. So it's not that he was this God fear that truly, ultimately mattered. In fact, there were God fears. There will be God fears mentioned in Pisidian Antioch, women in particular, um, who reject, uh, who reject, or I. I I wrote down where they were. I'm missing my note here, but there are God-fearers who are mentioned who reject Jesus, which means it's what they do with Jesus that ultimately matters. So he was a God-fearer who worshiped in the Jewish manner, but he had to figure out what to do with Jesus. God-fearers are mentioned in Pisidian Antioch, Philippi, Lydia, Thessalonica, Athens, and Corinth. They came away from a polytheistic culture, worshiping the Roman gods, the Greek gods, to worship the God of Israel. Now, he was openly practicing so that it says in verse 22, the whole Jewish nation knew about him. Now, that may have been an overstatement, but the point is it wasn't a mystery. He really was openly a member of the worshiping community. He was a prominent participant to the Old Testament ways of worship. So he was considered righteous and welcome in God's presence, but he had to figure out what to do with Jesus. The Old Testament has many people listed who became worshipers of the one true God. Ruth, Naaman, the leper, Nebuchadnezzar picked up the pen, one of the only Gentiles in the Old Testament who got to share his story after he was humbled through Daniel's ministry. Abraham was even converted from his land and his gods to come and worship the one true God. And then in the New Testament, we see the wise men coming from afar. Where is the one who was born king? So God is welcoming people from all nations throughout the Bible, and this centurion is one of them. All right, he heard about all this from the Old Testament. He's like, I'm in, and now something amazing is going to happen. So it goes on to say this, verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? So an angel appeared, and he stared in terror, all right? So this is a strong guy, probably seen some battle, not really easily frightened. I'm guessing he doesn't jump up on the couch when a mouse runs through the house. I'm guessing a spider doesn't make him squeal. He's probably not afraid of most things. And one angel appears, and this guy's like, hmm. One angel. It's all it took. David, by the way, fearless in battle on earth, he saw one angel and he was afraid. Heaven has the true power. An angel appeared, terrified him, brilliant light, and said to him, Cornelius knew his name, knew his name. Am I in trouble? Am I going to die? I love this moment right here. I just want to Kind of pause the, pause the story and just camp on this for a moment. An angel appears. This guy's more frightened than he's ever been in his entire life. And the angel says his name, Cornelius. That's so awesome. This is really just one guy swallowed up in the vast Roman Empire who you and I would have never heard about. And God knew his name. God told the angel to go to this guy and to say, you need to go meet Peter. Peter you know what that teaches us? God knows your name. Have you ever wondered if God knows you by name? There is a spiritual realm right now. It is the ultimate reality that will last forever. And there, God knows your name. Isn't that marvelous? Sometimes we can feel small, insignificant, unknown. The day is going to come when you pass along and people will say nice things about you at your funeral. And then maybe... 15, 20 years after that, someone will find a thumb drive with some pictures of you. Oh, I remember who that was. Eventually, maybe you're a small framed photo on someone's shelf. The sands of time will swallow up all evidence that you ever existed at some point. But your name is known in heaven. Isn't that awesome? I saw this picture from China that really made me think for a second. It might even be hard to make out what it is sitting so far away. This is an apartment complex from ground level, and rising up all the way from top to bottom are just windows into the world of person after person. Imagine if you tried to go learn everyone's name in that one block, just in that one section of life, let alone throughout all history. Imagine what it would take to know each of those people, and then to try and figure out something about them. God knows all their names. He knows the number of hairs on their head. You might feel like you're just, who are you? You're just one pixel on a screen that stretches as wide as the universe. God knows your name, Cornelius. God knows your name. That's great news if you're seeking him. It's frightening news if you're not, because his eye is on you. An angel directed him to learn about Jesus. We learned here that prayers matter. What is it, Lord? He said to him, your prayers have ascended. Prayer matters. Prayer matters. Do you pray? He prayed. Prayers go up to God. Your voice is welcomed in the council chambers of heaven. Sometimes when I kneel down to pray, I think to myself, of all the things that heaven must be dealing with right now, my things are kind of embarrassing, right? Like, even my bigger things are pretty small compared to what we could be praying about. Yet my voice is is heard in heaven. Prayers matter. God heard. And then alms matter. He gave generously to the poor. God saw that. Think of the things God could be looking at. You know, supernovas and awesome. I mean, the most beautiful scenes from earth. And he sees a gift to the poor. They've been remembered. So his relationship with God was special His desire to be righteous and loving mattered. His prayers were heard and seen. Wow. They've ascended as a memorial before God. Your name is known in heaven. Your deeds on earth matter to God. So an angel directed him, though, to learn about Jesus. Why didn't the angel just show up and say, because you're a good person, because you've given to the poor, because you've prayed Just want to let you know you're good. See you in heaven. Bye. Even the good guy needed to know about Jesus. His faith directed him to want to find out what God was revealing in this age. It's very natural. So he was an active worshiper, but he too had to decide, like all Jews, what to do with Jesus. Ah, I found it in my notes. God-fearing women in Acts 13. So these were non-Jewish people who joined in the Jewish worship. Paul and Barnabas come to town. The Jews were like, we hate them. They're talking about Jesus. Get them out of here. And the God-fearing women said, we're gonna go make that happen. They went to the government and got the apostles kicked out of town. So do you see how even though they were God-fearers, they had to figure out what to do with Jesus. And ultimately, the fact that they rejected Jesus Meant they rejected the heritage of the Jewish faith because it led to Jesus. So, this God fear needed to be driven to a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. What would he do with Jesus? This was symbolic of all those who needed to cross over from the Old Testament Mosaic blessings into the New Testament, New Covenant through Jesus. All right, so Cornelius was a devout Gentile who feared God. He worshiped God in a Jewish manner. An angel directed him to learn about Jesus. He obeyed. So he sent to go get Peter who was staying with a tanner by the sea. Interesting there, you're not supposed to stay with people who are working with dead stuff. Peter was crossing over some of the Jewish customs already. Wasn't all the way there yet. Jews were not allowed to associate with Gentiles. Here's a big problem. They were going to reach out to Peter, and Peter was going to say, no, I know my Bible. My Old Testament tells me not to meet with you dirty people. And when he says dirty, he means spiritually filthy, because I will walk away from that contaminated. He's about to say no. So God's got to do a work in Peter's heart, too. All right, Cornelius was a devout Gentile who feared God. Now let's move on. Number two. Peter was a devout Jew who despised Gentiles. Peter was a devout Jew who despised Gentiles. So it says in verse 9, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So it's about noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens open. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So this would have been animals, these four-footed, your translation the NIV might say four-footed animals, animals that were off-limits to eat by Old Testament Levitical code. Animals, reptiles, birds of the air, Their way in the Old Testament of showing piety to God is to avoid eating these things and to just eat the kosher diet. Now Jesus had already declared all foods ceremonially clean. They didn't exactly know what what that meant yet. So if you had certain foods that were like way bad, and not just physically for your body, spiritually for your soul, being around them, eating them, could contaminate you and ruin your relationship with God, you know what? What's best for everyone is, we're just never going to have Gentiles in our house, and we're never going to go in Gentile houses, then we'll be clean. That's the way Peter operated. So now, the heavens open, something like a great sheet comes down, and all these forbidden animals are now back on the menu. This is a really good day for all the men, because pork was off limits, bacon, and now it's back on the menu, Amen. All this food is now no longer a barrier put up. So Peter was a devout Jew, despised Gentiles. He says this. Well, it says this in verse 13. There came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean, just like Peter, to talk back to the vision. No! He was actually kind of doing the right thing, trying to figure this out. Then the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. When a vision happens three times, it's, it's settled firmly in heaven. Peter knew this was done, it was done, it was done. There were no longer any food restrictions between them and Gentiles. The, the fact that God declared the food clean means he's going to declare the Gentiles clean and you can have full brotherhood in faith together. This is awesome. This is awesome This is the way God is now relating under the new covenant. All right, so how on earth is this supposed to affect Peter? Well, it says in verse 16, that happened three times. Now, when Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. I'll be Peter, and I'm trying to figure out what this means, all right, James, you're going to start calling out Peter's name at the gate. So go ahead. What does this mean? I wonder what God means by this. I'm going to try and figure this out. (laughs) God's timing. God's timing. God's orchestrating the whole thing. And so it says in verse 19, while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said, now you have an angel and a vision And the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, talking. The Spirit said, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. It's a personal God. It's a personal God rallying his apostle to go and open the door to Cornelius to be a a full-fledged member of the Church of Christ. Do you see how God is hard at work, actively, personally opening the door of salvation? This is so awesome. Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house, to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. If you were a Jew back then, you'd be like, The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him, and the following day he entered Caesarea. We'll pause at verse 24. Jot this down. Israel's purpose was to be a holy nation. Israel's purpose was to be a holy nation. The fact that there were food restrictions, ceremonial restrictions, them separate from the Gentiles was a very good thing. God was raising up Israel to be a holy nation, and through that holy nation, they were going to bring forth the Messiah into the world. Now, They kept trying to ruin it. One of the big ways they ruined it was by intermarrying with with foreign women, taking on their gods and their worship and inviting God's judgment. So God told them not to do that. You're going to be set apart. You're going to be distinct. He was clear to them, this is not because you're special. Okay, you've given me just as many headaches as anybody else. But I am laying my favor and my grace upon you to serve this special role. So Israel's purpose was to be a holy nation. Israel served as the place of God's holy presence on earth. Here's a picture of the temple in Jesus' day. And you remember when Solomon built a temple, which was not this temple, Solomon's temple was destroyed, but when Solomon built the temple, the glory of the Lord came down and filled it with light and smoke and power. They couldn't even get in to do their priestly work because God was among them. This is the place of God's presence on earth. Now, in Jesus' day, the glory was not in the temple, because if you know your Bible, in Ezekiel's day, through a vision, the glory left the temple. It returned in the person of Jesus Christ suddenly. But they still honored God here in the temple, and if you see that wall in the lower right and then in the upper left, there's a wall there too, ground level. Gentiles could not go past that wall on pain of death. You can go this far, stop! That's it for you. You were not welcome into the presence of God. So there were barriers to worship, and even in the white building, which was the holy place, there was the most holy place. There was a curtain in the most holy place with no opening, one band of fabric all the way around, and everything showed you cannot get into God's presence. The holy priest, the high priest, got to go in once a year to offer one offering. If he died, they pulled him out by a rope, and uh, very scary. But then when Jesus died and rose again, what happened? The curtain, what happened? The curtain tore from top to bottom. The way is now open. So they're living this out now. Israel's purpose was to be a holy nation. Deuteronomy 7 to 9 makes it clear it's not because they were better behaved. Moses reminded them how unruly they were. Stubborn people, but they were used by God to bring salvation to the world. Shot this down, they were supposed to bring salvation to the world. But they got off that program a long time ago. Some understood this more than others. Solomon actually brought a lot of foreigners to see the dedication of the temple. Then he went a little too far and started marrying all of their pretty women. Got him in big trouble. Others walled off the area and wouldn't let foreigners in. Jonah was told, right, to go to Nineveh. Gentiles, and to tell them the good news of the salvation of God, repent, right? And what did he do? He ran away. I'm not going to talk to those people. They're dirty. They're filthy. They're dogs. He got swallowed by a whale, spit up back on shore. Do you know where he left? Do you know the port where he left to run away from God? Joppa, right where Peter was. Isn't that cool? Jonah, Peter, same place. Peter's going to go open the door to the Gentiles. He's protesting. No, Lord, I could, Jonah did the same thing. Uh uh. Nope, this is a bad idea. Bad idea! A lot of parallels here. This may have been where Jonah was spit back up on shore, took many showers before he finally did what God told him to do. Israel's purpose was to be a holy nation. They were also supposed to bring salvation to the world. They were reluctant to do that. Jot this down God restored Peter's heart to the Gentiles. God is not just restoring Peter's diet. He's restoring his heart. His heart had become cemented shut to those filthy, sinful people. God had to pry that heart back open. They should have known, Abraham was told that he was going to be a blessing to the world. They should have known that this was a plan for the world. All peoples will be blessed. They hoarded it all for themselves. They should have known Isaiah 49.6. Where it said to the Messiah, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. To the end of the earth. They knew it. They knew it. They knew it. They didn't want to do it. This is a good heart check moment. I'm not sure if your heart is closed off towards certain people. I'm not sure if your heart is closed off toward a certain person. I don't know. But if your heart is cemented shut toward certain people, if your heart is cemented shut toward a certain person, God wants to pry that back open. Because how are we going to reach people if our hearts are closed off to them? If we have a disdain for them, if we won't even talk to them, If our words reduce them to nothing. It's a good heart check moment. The hatred, the prejudice, the hostility had been baked into Peter's heart from birth. Maybe you need to pray today, Lord, open my eyes to your heavenly love. Because listen, friends, if Peter's heart hadn't opened up, you wouldn't be here today. If the hatred was maintained by the Jewish people successfully, you wouldn't be saved. God had to crack their hearts wide open so that people like you could be welcomed in. Who are we to now look around and be like, not that person, not that group of people. We have to have open hearts and heavenly love if we're going to go and reach the world. Maybe you've got to say, God, open my heart to go and tell others. Maybe you don't have an active hostility toward people. You're just passively unconcerned. Well, they're on their own. Maybe God has to open your heart to the lost again. Your fire for evangelism can go out. So can mine. Centuries of hatred had cemented Peter's heart shut, and Jesus cracked it open again. He can do that in his church. So number one, Cornelius was a devout Gentile who feared God. He worshipped God in a Jewish manner. An angel directed him to learn about Jesus. Number two, Peter was a devout Jew who despised Gentiles, Israel's purpose was to be a holy nation. They were also supposed to bring salvation to the world. God restored Peter's heart to the Gentiles. Jot this down, number three. God used Peter to open the church to everyone. God used Peter to open the church to everyone. So now we're in verse 25. Actually, we're in verse 24. "'And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends.' This is so cool. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. What a moment for Peter. He's going up to these filthy people who God wants him to now reach, and he walks in, and there's this centurion. And Peter walks in, and this guy runs over. He's like, oh, 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 Peter. Now, this could have been quite a moment, right? This could have been the moment when Peter was like, I kind of like this. I kind of like Maximus on his face in front of me. When you think about what the authority in the church, in particular in the Roman Catholic Church, and in other Orthodox churches as well, when you think of the authoritative weight that is expected to be given to certain people, whatever happened to the, well, how did Peter respond here? Let's read. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. Hey, you're going to get me in big trouble here in heaven. Get up, 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 up. Do you know when the Apostle John fell down in front of an angel to worship in heaven twice in the book of Revelation? The angel said to him, Get up, I'm just a servant like you. Angels get in trouble in heaven if they accept worship. Be very careful. We should never become people on earth who have this goo about us, this everyone should adore me or certainly not show this embarrassing type of, you know what I mean? Like bowing down to worship, like ah, guard your heart against that. Peter was like, get up. I'm gonna get in trouble. And I've already been in trouble in the Bible too many times. Right? I too am a man. What humility, what grace Peter had learned. Verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. I've got my whole family here. Come on in. All my friends. Everyone, everyone, get here. Peter's coming. An angel told me about this. This is like the best church service ever. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person, see how it's the person, common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa. Ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. You've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. What a church service. So everybody just sit up nice and tall right now. Sit up. Sit up nice and tall and fold your hands and give me your fullest attention with your widest eyes possible. That's what they were doing to Peter. They're like, what do you have to say to us? This is so cool. God got all this ready. Peter can't believe it. And so it says in verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. It's a great word there. It means God doesn't lift up the faces of one person over another. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Then he goes on to share the gospel. Next week's sermon is going to start at verse 37. For now, be careful what it says here. It doesn't mean that anyone all over the world who's doing good things is acceptable because of their good things. Clearly here, the word that was sent to Israel is there's good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. Now there is revelation given to people outside of Israel that they're responsible to respond to. It's not that they've done enough. You're never saved in the Old Testament or new by works. You're always saved by faith in the revelation of God. Abraham looked up. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We are saved by grace through faith in the Old Testament, and we are saved by grace through faith in the New. Cornelius believed what he heard, he did what is right because of it, and his faith now drove him to an encounter with the truth of Jesus Christ. So God used Peter to open the church to everyone. We see here that God ripens the heart to salvation. That's good news. As we go out and share the gospel, God's the one getting the person ready. If we use, uh, it's called red apple evangelism. If you talk to somebody and their heart is closed and their mind is closed and their will is shut down, they're not ripe yet. They're, They're green apples. Don't bruise the fruit. Get as far as you can go. But if God hasn't readied them yet to receive the message, it's not your job. God got these people ready to hear the truth about Jesus and to respond to it. God did that. The angel, the vision, the Holy Spirit, all converging here. It's not up to you. So jot this down. We learned the gospel is a message for the whole world. The gospel is the message for the whole world. It's not enough to be a good Buddhist. It's not enough to be a good Hindu. It's not enough to be a good Muslim. You need to learn about Jesus Christ to be saved. And if you have a heart open to the one true God and the revelation he's bringing in, God will get the gospel to you. We see that all over the world through missionaries and their stories. When hearts are opening and unfolding to the gospel, the messengers appear. The gospel is a message for the whole world, it's not for super spiritual people or a super race of people, it's good news of peace for all people the word that was sent to Israel, preaching good news, that's the gospel, of peace with God through Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He is Lord of all. The implication is Lord of all people. Peace was Rome's thing. The Pax Romana, they brought peace to the world through war and bloodshed and force and law. Oh, the laws. They brought peace, but guess what? They didn't broker peace with God for even one person. Rome didn't conquer the grave. Rome couldn't secure their borders against spiritual foes like Lucifer. They couldn't do that. Their peace was nothing compared to the peace with God found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, though Cornelius was captain of 100 men, he knew that Jesus was the ultimate warrior Jesus was the one this strong man needed. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that you need Jesus? Cornelius could have been the hero for all the people in his life. I will help you. I will advocate for you. I will fight for you. This guy was flat on his face in front of the apostle saying, tell me what heaven has for me to hear. Is that your humble heart? He's humbled, his heart is wide open, he wants to know everything God has to tell him and he wants everyone around him to know it too. What a person, what humility. And he didn't want to be the hero. He knew Jesus was the hero of heaven spoken of in the Old Testament. The gospel is a message for the whole world. Do you believe it? And do you want everyone you know to believe it? And jot this down, everyone who believes in Jesus is saved. Everyone who believes in Jesus is saved. Cornelius wasn't saved because he was religious or charitable or a patriot or a prayer warrior or a warrior warrior. He was saved because his faith in the one true God led him to a saving faith with God's Son, Jesus Christ. He believed the instant he heard that Jesus is Lord of all and his faith was made complete. You must believe and be saved And then testify by being baptized just like Cornelius was. So let me ask you this as we close. Do you have a story? Cornelius' story is pretty awesome. We handed out these cards the last two Sundays. Sermon response card. We've given you a chance to share your story. We don't have them in the bulletin today, but we have them on the back table in the lobby. We would still love for you to fill out your story. Let me read a few of them to you because this is what stories sound like. One man wrote, I received Jesus as my Savior when I was nine years old. With the aid of my mom, i followed Jesus ever since, and I was a pastor for many years. One woman wrote, I was a sophomore in high school in autumn 1971. The Jesus Revolution was take, taking America, and I was feeling a tug on my heart. I opened up my mother's big Bible and turned to the book of John. The words became alive, and I began to read the Gospels daily. God had lit a fire in my heart. I began attending a youth Bible study, and I was baptized a few months later. There is one way. 1971. One man wrote, I was raised Catholic and then Lutheran with my family. In my teens, I started feeling convicted by sermons from the senior pastor at the Lutheran church. The gospel message stuck with me when I was 22 in 2012, driving home from uh, night class and struggling with drugs, alcohol, chasing a dead-end relationship. Jesus freed me from that, and I accepted him as Lord of my life and Savior. Now, since then, He has freed me from my addictions and he's blessed me with the soulmate in my wife that he has chosen for me. Do you have a story? Do you have a story? Will you fill it out? Will you turn it in? If you don't have a story, we had people fill these out and six people filled out on this card. I would like to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord today. Maybe that's your story. Maybe today is your day. We're going to close in prayer right now and we'll pick back up in this passage next week. But let's respond to what we just heard by praying to God together. Let's pray. Jesus, what an amazing story. Cornelius was chosen by you to open up the kingdom to the Gentiles in full force. Thank you that your eye was upon this man. You knew him by name. You called him to go to find Peter to encounter the word of God. You showed that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Old Testament is fulfilled, and Cornelius, his entire household, became lights in the darkness and witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ to a world in need of salvation. Lord, I pray that there would be people in this room today who respond to the gospel just like Cornelius did. Even if they are good people, religious people, who didn't yet know the truth about Jesus or haven't yet personally accepted it, I pray that they would realize they need a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that they would understand that you can have a lot of strength in this life. You can have a lot of power. People can look up to you. You can do a lot of good things. But it's only what you do with Jesus Christ that determines your destiny forever. Jesus is Lord of all. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior who's come into the the world to lift our souls up from the grave. I pray that there would be some here today who respond to the good news of the gospel, and it is good news. In their own heart, right now, may they say, Jesus, you are Lord of all. Say that in your own heart. Say, Jesus, you are Lord of all. Say, I humble myself before you, and I accept you as Christ and Savior. Jesus, save me, forgive me, and use me to tell others the great news. Lord, for any who are opening their heart to the gospel of Jesus, let them know that you will never leave them, you will never forsake them. You are preparing a place for them in heaven, and you have works for them to do on earth, not to earn your favor but to show that your favor is on them. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us who have been Christians for a while to open our hearts to the lost. You are at work out there, opening eyes, opening hearts, crushing people, making them hungry to hear the truth from heaven. Give us a heart to go. Give us a heart to go and share the gospel. You are ripening people to salvation. May we not hold it back. May we not hoard it for ourselves. May we go. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Would you stand as we close and worship? a grace when the heart is undefined, another way when the walls are closing in, and when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire, standing dead left or dead beneath the waters I'm no longer a slave to my sin anymore And should I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning either way I won't bow to the things of this world Space between worst I can feel, I can feel the, the ground shake beneath us as, as a prison, prison wall's cave in, and nothing says between us, nothing says between. I know that's where you'll be. I'll count the joy come every battle. Cause I know that's where you'll be.
0: Well Hey, we're so grateful to have Rochelle as our guest worship leader today. Let's encourage her. Thanks so much. Hey, our leaders are coming down front. We are here to pray for you. We are here to pray with you, whether you want to start a relationship with Jesus, whether you have people in your life that you would love to lift up to the Lord, come forward and be prayed for. And as you go, know you are loved. We'll see you again next week.